All right. Calling this meeting to order at 9.38. This is our second quarter executive committee meeting. And I have asked William Bernson to give our invocation. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for the beautiful weather we're having today for the great state and country that we live in. Thank you for this little slice of heaven called Fayette County that we call home. We thank you for the breath of life that you've given us every minute that we have with our families and friends. We thank you for the opportunity to be of service and to learn from one another. We thank you for the fellowship we're going to have today and the guests that have come to share with us. We thank you for all the volunteers and their countless hours of dedication and community service. And we pray that you bless everyone here and keep us safe and our families and our friends and protect everyone that we're even going to come in contact with today. We pray for the sick and injured that they may find healing. We pray for your guidance, your knowledge and wisdom as we work to do your will. We pray for the end of human trafficking, abortion, gender confusion, and all other abominations against innocents. Pray that you rebuke the evil one and convert the hearts of those doing evil. Inspire more patriots to stand up and fight for liberty and freedom. We pray for your peace and your love and your forgiveness and for your protection as we travel home. We pray that we may remember that all that we do is for your glory and honor and in your son's name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, William. Okay, the pledges. First, the American flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And the Texas flag. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state, under God, one and indivisible. Thank you. Got to use the microphone. Can everybody in the back hear me, or do I need to use this? So far, so good. Okay. Okay. Next is roll call of the executive committee and. Uh, Kathy Gray for Precinct 101 North is not here. Kimberly Rutledge, Precinct here. 111, thank you. William Burton, Precinct here. 112, yes. Uh, Rita Durnell, Precinct 201 East is not here. David Stahl, Precinct 204, present, <laughs> is here. Uh, David Barr, Precinct 207 is not here. Zach Ezer, Precinct 301 West is not here. Catherine Giesemann, Precinct 316 is here. Uh, VJ Willis, Precinct 425, not present. Nancy Appleby, there she is. Precinct 426 is present. So, Secretary, we do have a quorum. We do have a quorum. Thank you very much. So now that we have a approval, I mean a quorum confirmed, uh, I want to ask for approval of the minutes from the March 11th 
first quarter executive committee meeting. So moved. All right. All in favor? All right. So that's Do we done. need a second? We should have a second. William Burnson made the second. motion. Do we have a second? Kimberly. Okay. All right, next on the agenda is the treasurer's report. I'll call up Kimberly Rutledge. Not only is she our wonderful precinct chair, but she's a fabulous treasurer. Because this is high finance. <laughs> we had $550 in contributions, of which we spent $389.47 on meeting refreshments. Some of that was the last meeting, quarter one, and then for the SD18 meeting. And we had printing, $96, website expenses, $75. Our total disbursements were $560, spending money like Democrats, more than we took in. <laughs> Net disbursements was $10.37. And we have a report on the front desk if you're interested in looking at the detail of how every dollar has been spent. For transparency purposes. Yes. <laughs> the balance of our account at June 10th, 5,609.23. And then our primary account unchanged. Thank you. Um, still, oh, you must be West This is our speaker from Gun Owners of America. And we have a surprise second speaker too that Wes will tell us about in a little bit. Okay, um, still looking to fill two precinct chair uh, positions, the Cistern Muldoon area and Domina Almondsville Swiss Alp area. So if any of you know anybody who would possibly be willing to serve in those positions in those areas, I really appreciate. These are the only two vacancies we have? Yeah, that's the only two vacancies we have, those two precincts. your agenda I had noted tentatively that uh, Sergeant Josh Vanda was, was going to try and be here. For those of you who don't know there's been a, a new DPS office open here in LaGrange to help service Fayette County. It's located in the Meadows building, the same building where our uh, elections administrator office is. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever done early voting since they, uh, EA moved over to the Meadows building, you know where it is, but they're on the other half of that building uh, now. And Sergeant Banda was gonna try and be here, but they're spread pretty thin these days. They're covering the border. They also have to cover the Capitol. And now that the legislature legislator has 
called another uh, special session, then they're trying to cover all those lead patients. But his assistant did send me some information that I'm going to share with you. Um, and also, Sergeant Banda said, anytime anybody wants to stop by the office and meet him and talk to him, he's more than welcome for y'all to, to stop by. You know, he may or may not be there. Like he told me, I talked to him this morning and he had been down on the border for several weeks and then he was called back to Austin when the special session was called. So, like I said, they're, they're spread pretty thin, but you're still welcome to stop by there and meet him if he's in or any of his troopers. But some of the duties and tasks of the Highway Patrol include enforce state traffic laws by patrolling the highways and issuing citations to violators, arrest drunk drivers, wanted felons, and other criminals, especially during enforcement blitzes, respond to, investigate, and report on traffic accidents in rural areas, provide security presence at local public and private schools as well as sporting events and other school events, inspect commercial vehicles for load and driver fatigue violations, uh, CMV troopers, we have two for Fayette County, assist other DPS divisions with felony investigations such as narcotic smuggling, educate citizens on traffic safety practices such as child safety seats and proper vehicle maintenance, provide statewide criminal law enforcement, especially in rural areas where local police are limited, uh, task forces such as violent crime task force, for example, deployed in Austin to assist their understaffed police department. Mm. <laughs> Don't get me started there. Uh, border de deployment, uh, Operation Lone Star, capital duty during session, missing or exploited children. Those are just some of the things that the DPS is expected to cover, which is quite a bit. Um, one other thing I want the, I'm going to ask the executive committee, um, I haven't talked to Wes about this, but Wes, we'd like to reimburse you for your mileage. So, yes, okay. we, we would. Yeah. So, I need to get your uh, mailing address so we can calculate the mileage from your address here. But first, I guess I have to ask the executive committee to approve that. Can I have a motion? It'll be. We reimburse Westerville for his travel miles. And it's based on the IRS 2023 mileage rate of 65.5 cents per mile. So just estimating it'll be a little over $200. I second. All right. All in favor? Second. You need a second. Nancy. Nancy. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Okay. Okay. Um, next thing is I'm currently in the process of 
securing election workers for the 2024 elections. And that is going to include the March 5th primary, the May 28th probable runoffs, uh, and of course the November 8th presidential election. Uh, I'm looking for workers in, at the elections office for early voting, uh, people to serve on the early voting ballot board, working at the polls on election day, um, poll watchers, whatever. So if you are interested, contact me. You've got my card on the table, plus a little push card giving you information on both the Republican Women Organization and the Republican Party and why we need you to participate and <coughs> help support us. So again, if you're interested in that, please contact me. Um, I actually am required by Texas election code law to give the elections administrator my list of election judges and workers by the end of this month. So I've already confirmed with all of the current election judges that they are willing to serve. So um, now really all I'm looking for is people working at the elections office or you know, at the polls, clerks, poll watchers, things like that. What openings for the I'm sorry, what? what? Your opening. You said you, you confirmed that the ones who work. She's clerks. Yeah. Clerks um, on election day. The clerks are already, they're by precinct, right? You have to be in your precinct. Yes. No, sign in. No, well, you're right. Normally they have a list of people that volunteer, and like we always use the same clerks, but if you're short for some reason, you can get clerks in Yeah. And actually, it's the election judge's responsibility to come up with the clerks, clerks right. that are serving. So do you have an election judge opening? Uh, no, I've got all of the... That's, that's a classic. Yes. We just got to get some... Uh, the clerks and also, also to work um, either early voting at the elections office or election night when the ballots are coming in. We need people helping to yeah. and if you'll just get on their list they'll email them. they're really good about it yeah. uh, they keep a list of volunteers when they need help they just yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just want to do our annual division all right i understand i was just wondering all right just letting you guys know so what else and they do get paid oh yes <laughs> everybody's all those are paid positions <laughs> You don't get a whole lot, but no. it's better than nothing, yeah. right? Okay, the last thing I'm gonna share with you before we go to the speakers is, um, I got this email and I thought it was interesting. It was titled, A Wake Up Call. Um, this should be a wake up call. A recent poll was conducted by the national polling company, YouGov. These are the results of the questions asked of average people on the street, which is pretty scary. <laughs> the actual numbers come from the U.S. Census Bureau. 
So answers, uh, first I'm gonna give you the answers from the average person on the street, and then I'm gonna give you the actual true answers based on the U.S. Census Bureau. So, what percentage of the country is black? Answers from the street were 41%. Actually, it's only 12%. And of course, if you watch TV, you'd think it was 80%. <laughs> what percentage of marriages are of mixed race? People on the street said 50%. Actually, it's 1%. If you watch TV commercials, you'd think it was 90%. What percentage of the population is Latino? People on the street said 39%. Actually, it's only 17%. How many families make over $500,000 a year? People on the street answered 26%. Actually, it's 1%. Wow. What percent of Americans are vegetarians? <laughs> Answer, 30%. Actually, 5%. What percent of Americans live in New York City? Answers were 30%. <laughs> Actually, 3%. What percentage of Americans are transgender? Answer, 22%. Actually, 1%. So ask yourself, why does the public have such inaccurate thoughts on these statistics? Gee, I wonder. The media, the media airs race, gender, and wealth stories and ads constantly. The result is we're being brainwashed by the left with the knowing help of the media. Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, would have been proud to have this half of this success. Disney recently went full-on gender-conscious and will no longer welcome guests with their traditional welcomes ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Oh, no. Why? Because 1% of the population is dictating to the other 99% and corporate America falls for it. Regardless of what you heard, fewer than 20% of Americans actually use Twitter. Yet, until recent changes there, Twitter disseminated 80% of public opinion. Why? Because the media is so effective at what it does. It promotes as well as censors. Think about it. Next time you're thinking Americans have changed and not in a good way, remember, it's mostly fake. It's simply propaganda designed to sway and change thoughts and beliefs. It's all a lie. Most people think just like you, just like you do, but the media continues to brainwash Americans with their constant broadcasts of lies. It's called social engineering. It's here and it's effective. So, food for thought. Thanks, Deborah. Did you, did you see Cheryl Draper came in? Yeah. And I want to recognize um, our SDA team committee woman, Cheryl Draper. Cheryl represents us on the Republican Party of Texas Executive Board. So if you have concerns with what's going on in the Republican Party, <laughs> call Cheryl, don't call me. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Okay. So, do you want to jump right in? Yes. I have some handouts. May I quickly say something about them and I'll put them on the table? For Certainly. Okay. I have, we have a campaign candidates at school that's going to be held in Hallettsville July 22nd. Any candidate, any level, last time we had statewide candidates there, uh, local all the way up statewide. I've got forms and everything right here. August the 5th, just like y'all held, and we're so wonderful to hold the SDAT meeting here, we're going to have the next one down in Calhoun County and uh, Port Lavaca. And uh, the county chair down there, Russell Kane, says, come for the weekend, make it a week vacation. I've got that flyer. And then in October, after Deborah and I go to the Secretary of State's training and to the RPT training for what we're supposed to do for the primary and such. We're having a training in Victoria for all seated precinct chairs right now because y'all will be the ones to help put on the convention, the precinct, the county conventions, as well as hopefully the delegates to the state convention and so I've got the uh, October 21st information to say the date there. So that's, do we know where the San Antonio and uh, yeah. May? It's on the first one that says uh, lost dates on it. Okay. Uh, it's in May, what it should be, this next year. So. Yes, sir. I'm just like to ask a general question. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Joe James, and uh, I'd just like to see a show of hands of who is aware that our state rep, Stan Kissman, voted to impeach Ken Paxton. Yeah, okay, everybody's aware of that. Great. You know uh, why? Who, who else besides me and Cliff Geezy wrote Stan Kissman expressing our displeasure? Great, thank you. If you haven't, if you like Facebook, get on his Facebook page. That's what I did. Uh, get on his uh, house uh, <clears throat> website and you can send him an email. I'm sure he'll give you some kind of perfunctory response. But we have got to quit electing people like this. This Ken Paxton has done more to combat voter fraud in our state. Yeah. And anyone who doesn't think that the 2020 election is stolen, come see me after the meeting. In our convention, when in the history have you ever seen votes stop counting on election night for people to get tired? Thank yeah, you. never. By the way. Thank you, Joe. Okay. Any other comments before we go to the speakers? Okay. Then, without further ado, I will call up Mr. West Verdell. He is with Gun Owners of America. And thank you again. Can y'all hear me okay in the back? Y'all can hear me all right? All right, good. Uh, first off, I'm sorry for walking in on the meeting. I didn't realize I had done that, so I apologize. But uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I thought I was, was early. We went and grabbed breakfast earlier. But anyways, uh, I brought with me Stephen Williford. He'll come up here shortly and, and talk to y'all uh, do y'all remember the Sutherland Springs First Baptist Church shooting? Uh, 
Steven is the man who stopped the shooter. He's the guy that ran across. I'm glad to call him a friend and he'll tell you more about that in a, in a minute. But uh, give you an update for those of you who don't know Gun Owners of America. We were founded in 1976 by a really great state senator. I don't say that phrase together very often, but uh, a really great state senator in California, which also is weird too, because remember, 80s, it used to be a very Republican uh, time period for California. H.L. Richardson uh, was an exec for the NRA. He wanted to do something a little more different, a little more aggressive. That's where we ended up coming in to, to play in 1976. And he wrote a book called Confrontational Politics. And uh, he wrote a lot of books. He also read one when he was a wrote one that says, so you think we read the bills, I think is the, the title of it, uh, which is, is a good insight too to what happens in inside of uh, the legislature. But uh, through the years, we've, we've mostly had focused on federal, uh, federal actions, federal lawsuits, holding the government accountable, trying to repeal the National Firearms Act of 1934 and all the subsequent bills that have come after that. Uh, in 2018, Texas, you remember 2015, we had gotten constitutional carry pass, or not open carry passed. So I had been an activist since about 2011 for gun rights, and I'd been going to the Capitol. Uh, open carry is what, what got me interested in it. I had gotten out of the Air Force in 2008. I started looking at our gun laws in Texas and thought, why can't I carry in Texas? When I lived in Wyoming, uh, you could carry without permission for, for open carry. Uh, kind of Texas not allowed. Turned out we were one of only six states that didn't have uh, some form of open carry. We were in there with, with New Jersey and Illinois and, and Florida and a lot of states that, well, Florida's getting better, right? I think we'd all agree on that. But, uh, but we were ranked in, in the other, with five other really bad states that didn't allow open carry. Uh, I was going to the Capitol, a ton of activists, activists were coming, and that's where you make a lot of the differences, uh, is actually coming to the Capitol, talking to your legislators. 2015, there were so many open carry activists coming to the Capitol, talking to their legislators, pushing for it, that they couldn't hide behind, because uh, they would always tell you, and you'll, we'll talk about Democrat chairs and all that, a lot of times uh, your representatives can come back to the district and say, hey, we fought for this bill, but the Democrats killed it. They don't tell you that the Speaker of the House, the Republican, is the one who put the Democrat chairs in charge of those committees that, that kill our bills and slow roll our bills. Uh, 2015, there was so much pressure, the Republicans couldn't use that excuse. Uh, we ended up getting open carry passed. In 2017, the support for constitutional carry started growing. 2018, GOA started getting really involved in state legislation because, you know, you hear this said a lot. It's uh, this, our most local form of government is our most important form of government, and GOA has realized that too because we were losing the battle uh, for conservatives and gun rights and everything across the board. We were losing on the local level a lot of times, and that expands out uh, to your national level. So GOA has started focusing heavily on, on state legislature in 2018. My predecessor, Rachel Malone, uh, fantastic. A lot of y'all probably have met her. She was the one that pushed the constitutional carry really hard in the legislature. Uh, our legal team wrote the, the bill in 2021 for constitutional carry. It was our bill that passed in 2021. So that was a monumental victory that all the legislators would have told you would have never happened in Texas. They would have told you they wanted it to happen, but, but it would never happen. And we ended up with this massive victory in 2021. Uh, I ended up getting hired uh, about a year ago in July. I was, uh, I was a volunteer for GOA prior to, to getting hired as a state director. but. Uh, this year, we actually had some victories. We thought it was going to be a break-even year, so 2021, massive victory. A lot of people, and this is when the Democrats and the anti-gunners uh, smell blood and, and start taking advantage of the situation. When we think we've won, 
if we get lackadaisical, the Democrats will come right in and just massive influx of, uh, of activism from their side pushing. We saw that Uvalde happened, terrible tragedy, but uh, they saw an opportunity that, you know, they have the never let a tragedy go to waste. Uh, that's what they were doing this session. So we went into this session knowing that Uvalde had happened, the dynamic of, uh, of where gun rights are going to stand is going to be different and how we approach it this session. And sure enough, 150 anti-gun bills were filed, uh, which is it's crazy to think about that there was 150 anti-gun bills, and a lot of them were one to restrict how many guns you could purchase within a certain time period, or to uh, to require reporting if you bought so many guns within a certain time period. Uh, one of the big bills we fought, which was to raise the age to 21 uh, for owning a semi-automatic firearm, and to some people, uh, some of my close friends like felt that that was a good idea. When you break it down for them, they start understanding that okay, maybe this is not. So in Texas, we have roughly 20 million, or 2 million, let me do my math here, 2 million. In the, in the country, we have about 20 million young adults that are 18, 19, and 20. In Texas, we have about 2 million young adults that are 18, 19, and 20. And we look back at, across the country, how many of these, these mass murderers were under the age of 21, and it's about 19. And so basically, we're looking at this, this idea of uh, the Democrats are pushing super hard on it. We had some Republicans that were supporting the bill too. And uh, anyways, the idea that you restrict 18, 19, and 20 year olds from their constitutional rights to self-defense makes no sense, especially when you're looking at, you're telling two million people that they now can't purchase a certain firearm to protect themselves because of the acts of 19 people. Uh, and I think there's plenty of us in here agree that there's some 18, 19, and 20 year olds that are pretty immature that you wouldn't want to see a firearm, but I have plenty of uh, friends I grew up with that are my age that I probably I think are still pretty immature, so uh, to be fair, sometimes my wife would tell you I'm in that category. Uh, but, but anyways, we, we fought that bill pretty hard. We, you know, the Uvalde stuff, uh, the left completely, in my opinion, took advantage of, uh, of the families and their suffering that happened in Uvalde, and they basically came in and started trying to convince them, like, hey, if we pass these bills, if we raise to age 21, it's going to stop mass shootings. And they said stuff like that in committee hearings. Even the, uh, the one of the Democrat members, one of the senior ranking Democrat members in this committee, uh, the Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee, uh, in this committee, and I think you might have been there, Stephen, he was saying, like, uh, we were talking about the constitutionality of it, and he's saying it's our job to push the boundaries, to, to, put, to figure out how far they can cross the line on the Second Amendment and let the courts decide what the Second Amendment actually is. Uh, that's the mentality a lot of these guys have. So anyways, uh, we fought that. We, we thought we had the bill killed. And then uh, I was in Brady. I'm from Brady, which is, is my hometown. Uh, thought we had the bill killed, and then I get a phone call. Hey, they're going to have a vote on uh, this committee bill. Uh, I can't remember what happened. Oh, yeah, I remember what happened. So the Allen shooting, y'all know what happened. In Allen, there was eight people murdered by a guy who got out of his car in a parking lot and, and started shooting people. Uh, May have been, and uh, yeah, he did have the sign, the the tattoo on his arm. Rumors that that's an act of terrorism. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, the very next day, uh, what they failed to realize, so this happened, and it, it spurred a lot of emotion in, in a bunch of legislators. The very next day, a guy in a car ran over a whole bunch of what I believe were, were immigrants that were here, and uh, in any ways killed eight or nine of them. It was the same number on the uh, Sunday with the car as it was as the guy with the shooting on, on Saturday. So a whole bunch of emotions came out of that. Uh, Monday morning I get that call, hey, they're gonna have the vote on this bill in committee to get it out of committee. And uh, I rush over there, 
Uh, I'm about two hours from, from Austin. Rush over there as fast as I could, try to get into the Capitol before they have the vote so we can make sure that the members of that committee know we're there and watching them. And anyways, the uh, it happened probably five minutes before I walked into the Capitol, they held the vote, and two Republicans voted for that bill along with the Democrats uh, to get it out of committee. And the Democrats uh, felt like they had just won a giant battle because this is the furthest a bill like that had made it through so far. Uh, I, I'm probably not allowed back in the two legislators' offices, the Republicans that voted for that. I was pretty, pretty PO'd. And uh, those, <clears throat> those two Republicans are Harless and Holland. Harless is out of Spring, Texas, and Holland is close to where the Allen, Texas shooting had happened. Uh, now, these two Republicans, before this vote had happened, we had a bill to stop red flag bills, to make it where Texas could never implement red flag laws in Texas, uh, written by Representative Briscoe Kane. Those two Republicans intentionally walked out of the vote so that the Democrats would have enough vote to kill that bill and that they wouldn't get uh, blamed for it happening because they wouldn't have a yes or no vote on it. <coughs> so I went to their office, uh, very strongly told them, uh, and I probably seemed like a pretty laid back guy. I was not laid back that day. And I, I very strongly told their staff, I said, hey, your, your boss violated his oath to the Constitution. He violated his oath to the Republican Party principles, and we're going to hammer him in his district whenever it comes time to primary him. Uh, anyways, I told that to both both of those legislators' offices. The next day, one of the staffers from a different office had come in. I was in Mark Garazio's office that day, and he'd come in, and he saw my GOA shirt, and he said, oh, I bet y'all are mad at Harless and Holland right now. And I said, yeah, we're pretty mad. And he said, well, one of my friends is a staffer in Holland's office, and they felt threatened by you. Uh, and I, it's crazy. I told him, I told him, I said, well, he's never, he needs to man up. I told that guy to tell his buddy, he needs to man up. And he's never seen a real threat if he thinks that I'm a threat to him at the moment. So, but anyways, uh, it's pretty frustrating. Those two guys know. I went back and found pictures. By the way, if you have any pictures of you with a mask on on social media, take them off. Uh, I went back and found two pictures of those two guys with uh, with their mask on, and then we made a graphic and sent it out on social media and with these guys. So, but anyways. Uh, luckily, that bill ended up dying. There was so much response from Texas activists reaching out, they were so mad at the two Republicans for supporting that, that I guarantee every Republican there got the message, you better not touch our gun rights. Uh, to wrap it up so I don't take a whole lot of time, we ended up with five bills getting passed this session. Uh, one of our big bills was the financial Second Amendment Financial Privacy Act. So Representative Matt Schaefer out of Tyler, Texas had contacted us, said, hey, uh, you know, I wanna go after the credit card companies and stop them from being able to code our firearm purchases. The credit card companies had said, we're going to start tracking your firearm purchases. What do we know large corporations do, aside from celebrating the entire month of June? Uh, we know that, that they take your data and they, yeah, they willingly give that data to the federal government. So imagine every one of you in here, your family members that are buying firearms, now you've got these credit card companies that are going to code uh, what's called a merchant category code, an MCC. They're going to make this code that tracks your purchase, and we know that they're going to give it to, at some point to the government. Now the government will have this giant database of all the firearm owners and purchasers here. Uh, we, 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 yes, sir. Pay cash. Yep. Amen. And uh, never, yeah. never, never, never use a credit card. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's eventually their goal is to get rid of cash too. But uh, for now. But yeah. So, anyways. Uh, our, our legal team wrote the bill for, for Representative Schaefer. There ended up being two versions of the bill, one written by the NRA, one written by us. Uh, in the end, through a bunch of uh, uh, mod modifications of the bill, it ended up being our language that got passed. 
uh, passed the House pretty quickly, got to the Senate, and, uh, and we had, there was a bank lobbyist there while we were testifying at committee for the bill. This bank lobbyist was testifying against the bill, and she was trying to say, hey, look, this is attacking banks. Banks don't have anything to do with the credit card companies. And thankfully, we had, I would say, four really good senators that stood up and questioned that, that lobbyist in the, during the committee hearing. And thank God they, they had done their research on the bill before the committee hearing started. But anyways, uh, Senator Perry asked the, this lobbyist, and I'm sitting at the little witness table with, with this lobbyist, and Senator Perry asked her, says, hey, you're saying that banks don't have anything to do with it? She's like, that's correct. And he says, well, according to the FDIC, the acquiring banks are the ones that create the merchant category codes. And, uh, and she had to end up admitting that that was correct. And then through those questionings, uh, Senator Schwartner, Senator Middleton, and I'm trying to remember who the third, fourth one was, but, uh, but anyway, they ended up exposing that, hey, the banks really are involved in this just as much as the main credit card company is. And so they passed it. This is what's really cool. Normally on bills, they'll hear the bill and then they'll take a vote on it later. On this particular one, the Senate, in order to rush it through so it wouldn't get timed out and get lost in all the other bills, they heard the bill, they instantly took a vote on it, to vote it out of the committee to go to, to calendars, and then, then calendars got it out pretty quickly to the floor for the Senate to vote on. So we ended up with a big win there. That was probably our biggest win. And uh, y'all heard of uh, cities trying to push uh, liability insurance for gun owners, where of course you, uh, so Carrie Isaac, who is out of the New Braunfels area, uh, she ended up having HB 3137. That bill ended up making it through, and it's on its way to the governor's desk to sign. And that stops municipalities from mandating that you have liability insurance on firearms. So, so that's a big win. Uh, you know, going into the session, we thought we're going to be lucky to break even, uh, just hold the line. And we ended up with, with about five, five big bills that won. Also, one of them was clarifying what an educational institution is. So. The, the way the penal code is written, it doesn't clearly define when you're on and when you're not on an educational institution property. And anyways, uh, Cole Hefner's bill, 1760, ended up uh, being much clearer now on so what is and what isn't. So if you're carrying and you're wondering where you can and can't carry, that bill defines it. Our, our legal team who deals with this all the time, have y'all seen Armed Attorneys uh, on YouTube? I highly recommend watching their videos. But anyways, that's uh, two, of, two of the people that help us out. And so they deal with this, 100% of their job is, is uh, cases dealing with firearms. And anyway, so they see all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we had one bill that didn't make it through, which was currently, if, uh, if, you're, or char if you're charged with something on felony level, you know, it's gonna go to grand jury. Grand jury's gonna look at it and decide whether there's enough evidence to indict you to send it on to actual court. I've sat on grand jury before and I'll probably never be invited back on grand jury either. Uh, question: If you ever get on grand jury, question everything. That's your duty. Your duty is to uh, to make sure that that truth and justice prevail. So, a lot of people that when I was on grand jury, I was one of twelve, and eleven people took everything that law enforcement said to them as gospel, and then there was me. Uh, anyways, it's not that I don't. I'm, I'm very pro law enforcement, but uh, but anyways, still question everything, right? Because we're all imperfect. There's good cops and bad cops. My brother, I think, is a great cop over in Kerrville. Uh, Summing up on that stuff, those those bills, we uh, we have big plans for next session. I got to go to Ozona recently for guardian training. Have y'all heard of guardian training? That's the teachers that can carry at school. They go through a lot of training. It was three days long of training last week that I went through, and I'm really impressed with it. We pushed really hard on, because uh, Uvalde, you know, every school board here in Texas has the option to use the guardian program. Uvalde had chosen not to use that program, and you saw what happened, right? They, they had spent a ton of money on security. They didn't have any security. Uh, 
when the cops got there, and I'm not trying to, to trash the cops or anything like that. When the law enforcement got there, through miscommunication, whatever, it was an hour before anybody came in to, to protect those kids that, that were possibly still alive and, and bleeding out. And there were people in there texting, hey, I, I've been shot, I need help. And the cops did not respond to that. It's a terrible way to learn a lesson, but I think DPS and, and a lot of other law enforcement have learned, like, hey, don't sit out in the way, you, you quickly react to the threat. But we, we did an interview with PBS uh, for an hour long. Of course, they only showed one minute on the, on the documentary of the interview, but, but anyways, we kept telling them over and over again, you are your own form of self-defense. Like, you cannot wait for law enforcement to get there. If it's three minutes, five minutes for them to get there while you have a threat, that's three minutes too long or five minutes too long. So, so I highly encourage everybody to, to carry if you, if you feel comfortable with it, but I also highly encourage you. We don't, at GOA, we absolutely do not support government-mandated training, but I do highly encourage everybody to take as much training as you can get on firearms. I grew up around guns, grew up on ranches, thought I was pretty good with a gun. I got into competitive shooting, and I got humbled super quick on, on how much better real shooters or, or people who are really good at shooting look like. And, uh, and I consider myself an average. I have to work really hard to be an average shooter in competitions. And, uh, and every time I slack off, I just start. It's one of those skills that if you don't uh, practice it on a normal basis, you're going to lose that skill. So shooting a deer, like low stress, not hard at all. Uh, getting into competitions, or if you get into a real firefight where you have to use your, your firearm, it's completely different. And uh, you're going to depend on muscle memory and training that you have before. If you all have any questions for me before I hand it off to Steven? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Armed attorneys. Uh, that's going to be Richard Hayes and Emily Taylor. Uh, Emily Taylor is the pretty one out of the two, and so <laughs> every, don't tell my wife I said that. But uh, everybody, yeah, everybody always asks me like, "What's Emily, Emily like?" So uh, that's I think that's probably ninety percent of the reason why people watch their YouTube channel. But but it's uh, it's a really good channel, uh, really good information on there. And even like that, if you're just thinking about traveling out of state, like they have a video that talks about, hey, here's what happens if you go into these certain states that don't allow you to have this firearm carried in this way. Uh, and so there's a lot of good educational videos in there. And there's a lot of other good attorneys too. And, and what I like about them is they'll tell you, hey, don't take uh, their word for it, do your own research. But because there's, there's also a million lawyers trying to get you million. Here's what I found. So we just had, and I didn't talk about this, we just had a lawsuit preliminary injunction granted to us. We had, we, along with Ken Paxson's office, uh, and, and I get to work with Ken's office some, uh, we just, we co-filed a lawsuit. We requested a preliminary injunction on the Biden's ATF pistol brace ban. And uh, anyways, May 31st, that got issued. Uh, the judge wrote in the language which they talk about on the armed, armed attorneys channel also about our preliminary injunction. So basically, uh, because we filed it with uh, Ken Paxton, Ken is representing the state of Texas, so employees of the state of Texas are currently protected uh, from the ATF going after them if they have possession of a pistol brace. Do you know what a pistol brace is? Uh, okay, so pistol brace is basically kind of like a, kind of like a rifle sock, but we're not supposed to call it a rifle sock. Uh, anyways, it's for if you're handicapped, let's say you're a veteran that got injured or something like that and you can't use both hands, well, it's designed to where you can hold the AR pistol, meaning a shorter than 16-inch barrel. You can hold it by the pistol grip, and then it has a brace pack here that you can attach to your forearm so you can hold the gun standing here while you're using it. Mm -hmm. uh, the ATF had come out with a letter, because a lot of people were asking, hey, can we shoulder these? And the ATF came out with a letter that said, for clarification, yes, you can shoulder the pistol brace. So, you know, of course, we all 
running by a whole bunch of, of AR pistols with pistol braces. And then now there's roughly 40 million estimated AR pistols with pistol braces in, uh, in, in America right now. And then now ATF comes out through, through Joe Biden and says, hey, we're gonna deem these all as short barrel weapons, short barrel rifles. You are now gonna be considered in possession of an SVR. You're, you're gonna be listed as a felon. Uh, so anyways, that's what we're fighting. We ended up getting that grant, which is a huge win for us. Uh, and June, May, May 31st is when that was written. And that's what I was going to is the lawyers have different opinions. So the judge wrote, basically, here's who is covered under this injunction. And 20 different lawyers will give you 20 different answers of who's covered under it. But the, the simplest answer is, if you were a member of GOA before May 31st, you're protected under that injunction while it proceeds through the court process. Yes, sir. The lawyers said that the, uh, the judge didn't actually put a date on that. Right, correct. And so, uh, he said, uh, if you signed up the day, you're probably going to be covered under that. Yeah, so we know for sure from 30, 31 May back, uh, if you remember, you're good. The, the way what he's talking about is the language says current members. So it depends how you interpret that as. And that's why I was talking about, you can have 10 different lawyers look at this injunction letter and, and come up with 10 different answers of who's covered and who's not. But basically, if you were a member before 31 May, you're covered. If you're a member now, it looks like you're most likely covered. We're still waiting for clarification from the courts to, to clarify that part of it. And then it also covers the employees of the state of Texas because it has to follow that. Yes, sir. A lot of people, myself included, won't join or rejoin the NRA while the Wayne Lapierre is still president. Yes, sir. Have you seen your numbers come up because of that? Uh, so we, we, we've been growing every year for at least it's the last 10 years. I know that, that our memberships have gone up. We're roughly somewhere over 2 million right now across the country. And uh, just in this, because of this injunction that was rolled in, and what's neat about this injunction is, is, you know, we filed it in Texas, but instead of it just protecting those in Texas or within the Fifth Circuit, uh, it actually covers all members across the United States. So we had, on May 31st, we had so many people trying to sign up for GOA that our system was actually crashing because so many people were trying to get memberships on that day to fall into that category. I know in Texas alone, uh, so we can see how many email, email uh, subscribers we have, and I went and checked the next day and we had 2,500 more subscribers just in Texas in one day. So think about across the country how many that turns into, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, our membership's gone way up. Uh, I'm not supposed to badmouth any other gun organization. Uh, I like to think of it this way. The more of us that are existing and working together, the more effective we can be. Uh, I, I can tell you, I used to be a member of a certain gun organization, and when I started coming to the Capitol, they weren't there. They actually called us stupid for, for they, they literally put out that we were stupid for pushing for open carry. And, and I know that there's some people in here that are against open carry. There's a Department of, of Justice study that was done that interviewed incarcerated felons, and they asked them, hey, what are you looking for? And this is all common sense when you hear it, but uh, they said, what are you looking for when you commit a crime? And their top five reasons were unarmed, they're a female, small in stature, elderly, and not paying attention. Uh, guess what the number one deterrent was for them to not commit the crime? The open side of the fire. Uh, and so, yes, to some criminals, if they see that you have a firearm on, they're going to target you first, and that is reasonable to, to believe that that could happen, but also, if they see a firearm, it's very likely, based on that study, that they're going to not commit the crime there and if they're still convict, convicted to commit a crime, they're gonna go do it somewhere else. Uh, the shooter, when we look at, at Tennessee, at the, the, 
Covenant was the name of the school. She had said that there was three places she was looking at, and she picked the school that had the least amount of security on it. Uh, that's why I believe in the Guardian program. You know, in my hometown, Brady, we we have some great people in our school, but we had a superintendent who was against uh, the Guardian program being there. And he said to the school board members, like, look, I don't want the liability of having children accidentally shot in our school because we had guns there. Uh, my friend who's the school board president replied back. He said, well, I don't want the liability of 19 children laying here dead because we didn't protect these kids. And they took a vote on it. It passed. The superintendent was driving past my house probably about a month ago, and he saw me and saw, and we were talking about it. He was like, hey, you know, I was against that. And, and he's like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not of the same opinion anymore. So, uh, but basically our school, when you drive by, has a sign out there that says our teachers are armed and ready to defend our, our students. So it's a... Uh, what we're trying to go for here is deterrence, right? And one thing we notice is crime has gone up. There's there's a couple reasons for that. One is we know the population has doubled in the last four decades. Uh, so of course you're gonna have twice as much crime as you did 40 years ago, but we also have a significantly higher amount of mental illness going on and broken families and everything else that's happening. So, and what happened, so you remember the D.A.R.E. program when they were pushing for drug awareness? Uh, what happened? Drug use went up, right? Uh, when they were pushing suicide awareness, what happens? Suicide awareness goes up. You start pushing all these school shootings and everything and awareness and, and just mass putting it on TV, guess what happens? You're going to have all these mass shootings go up. So we've got a whole bunch of different dynamics going on. But the most backwards idea is to start disarming society uh, because this is happening. The, it, it, this is not a time to start disarming society. There's never a time to disarm society, in my opinion. <clears throat> but this is the time that you need to be getting the training. You need to find out how to protect yourself. And uh, it just it makes no sense to me why we do the exact opposite of that. Increase crime, get ready to defend yourself. Don't, don't go and disarm yourself. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Stephen Williford. Thank you all for your time. And Thank you very much. How many of you know my story? How many of you saw the video? That was the wrong story. <laughs> if there was a video attached to it, it was Jack Wilson in, in uh, White Settlement, uh, Texas up by Fort Worth. This one was Sutherland Springs, Texas. It was before that day. Uh, where a madman came in and started shooting through the walls and the windows of a hundred-year-old church. And walls and windows, and there was no insulation in the walls, so it penetrated through. He walked by, he walked around, and he was shooting through the windows and stuff, put everybody on the floor. My daughter ran in and told me, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? And basically, I realized it was, ran to my safe, grabbed a mean, nasty AR-15 and a handful of ammunition, loading as I was running out. I ran across the street barefoot. They call me the barefoot defender now. Uh, and people say, really, you ran across the street barefoot. You didn't take time to put shoes on. And I always tell them, you're lucky I had pants on. <laughs> Because when you hear the gunshots, and you know every one of those shots were aimed at someone you care about, a fourth generation in Sutherland Springs, population under 600 people. Oh, yeah. I knew most of the people in that church. 
I've eaten with most of the people in that church. I've delivered toys on Sunday morning. Just before, not Sunday morning, but just before Christmas, I've delivered toys on the back of my Harley Davidson. Every year, we do a toy drive in Wilson County, and we deliver toys to underprivileged children. That First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs is the heart and soul of our community. I didn't attend that church, but I knew everybody in it. It mattered. So I ran across the street, and as I did, I truly believed that God had my hand and was coaxing me. Because I yelled out halfway across the street, in the church, he had just shot Julie Workman through the breast, and then shot her son, Chris Workman, which was the praise ministry leader of the church, shot him in the back, paralyzing him instantly from the waist down. And he would shoot somebody with his AR and then walk over with his pistol and yell, shut up, and pull the trigger, point blank range. And he was standing over Chris, and Chris said he could see the barrel of the pistol, and he said, I knew I was going to meet Jesus. Then I heard you yell. And at that moment, the shooter changed his expression on his face, dropped his rifle in the church, and came out shooting at me with a pistol. I truly believe that God called a demon out. I can't call demons out, but God can speak through me. And I truly believe God called a demon out. He came out, he was in class three body armor and a ballistic bulletproof helmet. My worst nightmare had just been realized. He talks about training. And I'm going to tell you, I used to be part of a pistol team, a church pistol team. We call ourselves the sinners. And it gave us a chance to testify to people on the range. One of our centers was a former Army Ranger and a current San Antonio police officer. And in between competitions, it was a team of five, in between competitions, he would train us what he knew. He trained me how to shoot around body armor for three weeks straight. That's why training matters. Our Second Amendment guaranteed me the right and the ability and the responsibility to have an AR-15 to confront a shooter that was killing people within our church, within our community. Had I not had an AR-15, I would have been in serious trouble. Chris Bird wrote a book, and the subtitle of Chris Bird's book is When Seconds Count, Police are only minutes away. I don't have enough time today to, to recount every moment, but I hit that shooter six out of six shots. Most of them went into the body armor where they were stopped. But I hit one between the body armor, between the plates when he turned to get in his vehicle. I hit one high in his legs. After he got in his vehicle, slammed the door, I put one right underneath the rim of the bulletproof helmet. 
busted his forehead from side to side. He accelerated, turned the corner, and was running as fast as he could away from me. I ran out in the middle of the street. It was about 150 yards away at that moment. I put one through the back windshield and went through the driver's side seat, hit him right at the left shoulder blade as he fled the scene. And we chased him 11.6 miles, and he took his own life, and that's okay. I believe he was coughing up his own blood. That's okay. I believe God, God held my hand and, and helped me through that. There were bullet holes in the truck in front of me, shattered windshield of the car behind me, and bullet holes in the house behind me. Police department, and I'm not trying to point fingers at the police department. I think they are great. I support our men and women in blue 100%. But they're second responders. You're your own first responder. You are your own first responder. When seconds count, police are minutes away. And police have a national hit ratio of 17% in a gunfight. If you think you're better off waiting for police, you're wrong. I'm here to talk to you, and I have a new book out. It's fresh off the press, and maybe, maybe I'm... And I have my first author's copy, my very first author's copies out in my truck. Talk to me after if you want more of my story, it's in my book. What I'm here to talk to you about today is like the man over here said earlier, we've elected too many Republicans that aren't doing what they should be doing, that have forgotten. How many people know or remember Kay Bailey Hutchison? <laughs> In a group like that, y'all should. <laughs> Kay Bailey Hutchison was the senator before Ted Cruz. Kay Bailey Hutchison was okay with abortion. I hated her. Kay Bailey Hutchison voted for the assault weapons ban. Kay Bailey Hutchison voted for the Brady Bill. And then after she did that, she came to a pro-gun rally in Texas where we promptly booed her off stage. That was the mark of the, the end of her career. And we replaced her with Ted Cruz. God bless Texas. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be slamming a Republican. But now we have John Cornyn. So John Cornyn just brought over 14 rhinos, rhino Republicans, to trample our Constitution to sign another gun bill. I challenge everybody to remember Kay Bailey Hutchison, and I tell John Cornyn, this is your Kay Bailey Hutchison moment. You've forgotten why we sent you here. And at the Texas Republican Convention, they booed him for 19 minutes. And after it was over, he interviewed, and the lady asked him, they booed you here. He said, 
I've dealt with angry mobs before. My question is, is John Cornyn, with the angry mobs, the Republican Convention, the people that sent you to Washington? So he's just one of them. We have them here in Texas that represent Texas. And it's time for us to start cleaning house and get back to our conservative roots. And to remember, and we, they say that we have a short memory. I'm here to remind everybody. I want to tell you a little bit about this man over here and what he does for GOA. Because when they were trying to pass all these gun laws, and I went there to the Capitol, this was what happened in my day. I signed up about 7.45 in the morning at the Capitol. And I signed up to speak at a lot of bills. So did he. Wes signed up to speak for more bills than I did even. I didn't get out of there until 1.30 in the morning, the next morning. I stayed up and stayed there until I covered the bills that I really thought were important. To be able to, to let my grandchildren, when they turn 18, to defend themselves when they go to college, or if they go into the military to be able to carry a gun, to be able to buy their own gun. The bills where if you buy more than one gun a month, you get put on a list. And I went and I spoke. And the Democrats brought in all the families from Uvalde and they talked about their, their children that died. And I cried with them because out of everybody that was there, I could relate better than anybody else. And I cried with them. But what they were trying to push would not make a difference. It's time to, time to arm our teachers. It's time to put law enforcement in the, class, in the schools. It's time to lock our doors in the schools and protect our children like we protect our politicians. At very least, they're our most valuable assets. I got out of there 1.30 in the morning, checked into a hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning, got up at 8 o'clock in the morning, had breakfast, and headed home and brought up Skype, or Zoom, one or the other. Because I was scheduled to speak Boulder, Colorado, finding their assault weapons ban in Boulder, Colorado. I stayed on that computer. I got all the way home from Austin which is hour and a half drive from me. Opened up a computer, I stayed on that computer for six and a half hours before I was alive, allowed to speak. That was after I spent all night at the Texas Capitol. They keep reminding me, just remember, you're part of the national team, you're not Texas team. And I said, you better let me do things here in Texas while Texas is still part of the nation. <laughs> we may pull the pin, take our ball, and go home. <laughs> I challenge all these other states, be more like Texas. 
We have a saying in Texas, and it's come and take it. And we're one of the most gun-friendly states in this country. Come and take that mantle from us. But while you're trying to catch up to Texas, GOA is pushing forward, Texas forward, to be even better. Catch us if you can. I love Texas. I never want to live anywhere else. I'm just like uh, Robert E. Lee said when they asked him to be a union general. He says, I'm a Virginian first, and you attack my Virginia. I am a Texan first. Don't attack my Texas. <laughs> Texas is more of a mindset than it is a geographical location. Texas is the people like Jack Wilson, myself, or Greg Stevens that took on two terrorists with his block, and they had AK-47s, and he took them out. Texas is a mindset. We don't mind people moving into Texas, but they need to adhere to our mindset and leave what they've left behind be part of this great experiment. We as, as conservative Christians, and I say conservative Christians because some of the Republicans out there have lost their way. We need to get back to what made this state great, what made this nation great. We need to stop all this um, transgender garbage and story time and things like this and get back to what God values the most in this nation. Thank you guys so much for listening to a crazy old man. Oh, just by the way, you see this much fat running down the street? Something serious is happening. You better either catch up or run the other way, one or the other, whatever. And if you ask a question, please, I'll take questions, but speak loudly because I'm deaf. I just wanted to say I do remember your story. When, when that happened, we all started carrying in our churches around here. Yeah. And that's when it happened. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time, I, we have spent a lot of time thinking about your story. And you're a hero, and thank you yeah. for showing it all. Yeah. Okay. I, I, mean, I, I mean that. Here's what I believe about when people call me a hero. How many people here are former military? Raise your hand. Former or current, okay? How many people are in law enforcement? Raise your hand. Okay, how many people are EMT, firefighter, EMS, doctor, nurse? Please raise your hand. Be careful. Heroes walk among us all the time, and most time they don't get recognized. Those people, that is absolutely true, but those people are all professionals, and they're paid to do it. A lot of them are. You are an ordinary citizen who could have turned and looked the other way. It happened in France just I recently. Have. All those cowards ignoring that man running around stabbing that child, and you chose to do something. Thank you. Thank so you. That makes you a hero above and beyond, in my opinion. Thank you. That just all those fans love. With being away, I spoke in Colorado. Our Rocky Mountain Regional Director in Colorado, Ian Grimes, 
Dan Grimes got two purple hearts. They had a Humvee blown up with him in it. And then he got shot down when he was riding in a helicopter. Yeah. He's been in multiple gunfights and people were calling me a hero in the And he is standing right beside me and I'm thinking, how can they notice me without knowing him? And I, I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong, I do appreciate it. But heroes walk among us every day and we don't recognize them. What you said about us being the first responders, I thought that was profound. So I appreciate you saying that. Mm -hmm. I want to say something real quick. Uh, I don't know if I told you this. Uh, one of the kids who had been shot, I think four or five times to survive, the youngest kid that, that had been shot survived at Southern Springs. Uh, we had these sort of repairs off in Brady. One of our customers had come in a couple of days after the shooting had happened. And I remember saying to that customer, he was telling me that, that it was his grandson, and I said, I said, I just can't believe nobody had a gun with them in church. And his response kind of blew me away. He said, well, it's not right to carry a gun in church. Uh, which is really sad that I'm sure he's going through a traumatic time at that time. But, but the idea that, that we're not supposed to protect ourselves, even in our most vulnerable situations, is, is crazy. Nehemiah 414. And I stood out and looked over the, the people and the nobles and I said, do not fear them. Trust in the Lord your God who is awesome. Defend your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's in the Bible. Nehemiah 4.14. We uh, talk about church security. And if you watch the film of that poor preacher shooting through the doors in Tennessee, put four or five bullets through two locked sets of glass doors and then walked through shattered glass. I'm not selling anything, but there's two or three companies, three of them is one of them, who makes it. It's called a security film. And if you go to a church with glass doors, or if you have glass doors in your house, you should have one that's relatively inexpensive. She would not have walked through that glass had that church invested a few hundred dollars on security film. A few hundred dollars, yes. Exactly. And Nowadays, there's no reason to have a door open, and there's no reason to have glass doors to begin with, but if you do, there needs to be standards. We're getting off on something that I believe that we can talk all day about what needs to happen. I will say, you pointed it out earlier, that y'all started your uh, safety response team after Sutherland Springs. So did Jack Wilson, a month and a half afterwards. Jack Wilson, and White Settlement Church of Christ started by. I remember that one too. One shot. What's that? Yeah. That was the one shot guy from across the Absolutely. Absolutely. I met Jack uh, one month before that happened. Just random coincidence that we came across each other for 30 minutes. Uh, but, uh, uh, you mentioned the film. In Ozona, we were asking about that during the Guardian training. And we were like, hey, you know, they could just easily break the windows up and come in, even with all. And I said, we have the film coming. And there's different grades of film you can put on there, and they're going with the, uh, the best film you can buy so that the glass won't shatter, so that they can't just easily bust the windows out of it. How did, how did the bill turn out where they were trying to get money for law enforcement officers? And I'd have to look it up. HB3 did pass. HB3 is one that requires our security in every school here in Texas. Uh, so that's good, and we're looking more into it. Your question was, what's the film called? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure to be honest with you. It's just a security you you can you can work that up real easily, but uh, again, back to Wes. When I left at 1:30, Wes was still there testifying too. Um, 
Why are we doing this? How many people have children in here? How many people have grandchildren? How many people have great grandchildren? <laughs> I'm an old man. Okay? I now have eight grandchildren, the oldest of which is mine. I'm not fighting for me. I'm an old man. I could just take the foot off the gas pedal and throw down the hill to glory. I'm fighting for my grandbabies. Ronald Reagan said it best when he said freedom is no more than one gener generation away from extinction. It wasn't handed down to us through the bloodline. Instead, it must be fought for and protected and handed down to the next generation for them to do the same. We have one young lady here. Most of us have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. This has got to change. This has got to change. We've got to get the younger generation fighting before we're gone. We have to work on that. And we have to get them fighting. Because this experiment is worth saving. Any other questions? Please, and maybe I'm using this for a selling point, but I'm excited about my new book. I have limited copies of author's copies today. I'd love for you to meet me. I'll sign the book. And I don't have anything for a credit card. It has to be 20 bucks cash. <laughs> but please get with me afterwards. But more importantly, my book's important to me, but what's important to this nation is to join gun owners of America. And, and we have the ability for y'all to, I got QR codes and stuff and get you signed up today. Uh, you go to gunowners.org, see what we're doing, and, and it's important. Uh, so, we, we have that available if you guys want to sign up. And I, I hate doing a pitch after that, but... You're welcome to do that we, we, I We have to justify coming out to speak to a group somehow. <laughs> um, I, I can't... After the church shooting, I was doing everything I could. Go out and do things for free. And I ran out of money and said, I can't do it anymore. And they said, well, you should be charged. Gun Owners of America has allowed me to do this without taking a speaker's fee. I have been blessed by Gun Owners of America to do something I'm passionate about. Thank you guys very much for having me here today. Uh, you have blessed me. And God bless. Stephen will know who's interested in buying his book.
think he's going to bring a whole box. Okay, then the last thing is um, Stephen and Wes talked about training and how important it is to learn what you're doing and over and over and over practice. Um, I recently joined a club that's it's a national club, but they opened a ch uh, chapter here in LaGrange recently. It's called A Girl and a Gun. And they meet out at the Fayette County Gun Club um, several times a month. So if you're interested in learning to shoot or just having an opportunity to, to practice, uh, I encourage you to do that. You can just go online and Google a girl and a gun. Anyway, it's a, it's a really good organization. Yeah, it's a good uh, opportunity. All right. Having said that, I think I will adjourn the meeting.